Hello and welcome to Smart Businesses Do This, where I am joined by Jessica Fialkovich. You are listening to Smart Businesses Do This, the podcast show for freelancers, side hustlers, and upcoming small business owners who want to transform their current business or business idea into a company that is built to succeed, simple to run, and gives you the freedom to live your life on your own terms. I'm your host, Adam Lyons. Let's get started. Who is not only just a business broker that helps people buy and sell businesses, but she's my personal favorite business broker because she actually understands how you can buy businesses for no money out of pocket, which is something that I have done many times with my partner, Roland Frazier. And it is a common belief that brokers in this world of buying businesses for no money out of pocket are evil. Um, often refuse to help with this, and all they want to do is stop a deal from going through. But in my experience, Jessica is nothing like that. Uh, she has completely counter beliefs to that. So we're going to be discussing that, and we're also going to be discussing some major changes to uh, SBA loans. And uh, Jessica, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Adam. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah, it's awesome. So before we get into it, because I'm I'm super excited, the SBA thing you like threw at me, and I didn't even know about it. So this is great. Um, why don't you tell everyone just a little bit about you and what you do um, and your company? Yeah. So um, I started off as an entrepreneur. I started my first business when I was 24 years old in the wine and spirits space. Um, grew that business and 30 months into it, decided it was time for an exit to go do something else. Through that process, I sold uh, my business through a business broker, got introduced to M&A for small businesses and really haven't looked back. So my husband and I founded our first business brokerage office in 2013 in Colorado. And at this point, we have um, offices in three different states. We have over 60 brokers that work with us, do about 200 deals a year um, in all kinds of different industries. So I love, love this. And you just, you just, uh, you're, you're moving to Texas, I hear. Is that correct? You, yeah. So we moved, we moved to Texas last year and we actually, we grow our businesses through acquisition too. So we buy other business brokerage practices to roll them in. Um, so we bought the uh, Dallas, some offices in Dallas, Texas and uh, Fort Worth about two years ago, moved down here earlier this year. And then we just bought a bunch of offices in Austin um, that we closed on about two months ago. So which is awesome. And I love that. OK, so if you're listening to this and you are not yet growing your business through acquisitions, you are missing out on a level I can't explain. Um, I want to share a little story for everyone listening uh, and you, Jessica, because you don't know this. One of my favorite businesses I've owned for 18 years um, is in the dating space. And in fact, before I got into entrepreneurship or maybe as I got into entrepreneurship, I was known as the number one dating coach in the world. True story. And um, after a while, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in my 40s now and you get to a point where you're kind of out of touch with the younger generation. And it doesn't mean that, that my business was struggling, quite the opposite. It's the biggest investor it's ever been. But there was a new generation that were more interested in a different voice. And I thought, well, rather than trying to, you know, start dressing like a younger person, um, which obviously was never going to happen, I thought, you know, what, I'll just find a, a dating coach who's up and coming and acquire part of their business. So there was a great dating coach who was in his 20s, who I loved. He had a big voice on YouTube, um, didn't have a lot of his business operations in place that he needed. And uh, so I approached him about acquiring a percentage of his company, which I did. And so, and that's been great. That's been a very good revenue generator for me. We do cross promotions. I've helped him streamline his business, helped him grow it. It's been super fun. But one of my favorite things about this is it instantly increased the size of my company by the percentage of his. So his company was doing about a 
probably about 20% of what mine was doing grows. And I own 40% of that. So I essentially gained like an 8% bump in in a month. It was it. Just my yeah. company was now worth 8% more, which I, I love. And you can just do that. I mean, you know, they seem to do that as much as you like. Yeah. But one of the biggest benefits is we just launched a dating podcast. And I was like, man, I don't want to do this. Like, I, I don't want to be on a dating podcast every day. And so I just phoned him up and said, I want to do it. And he went, yeah. And now I don't even have to do the work. And he's doing yeah. it. It's great. Yeah. So I'm a huge fan of, of growth through acquisition, obviously, which you did mention. So if you're listening to this and you haven't done this yet, you really got to think about buying a business. Now, um, there's two ways to do it, which is with money or without money. And um, as shocking as it sounds, you absolutely can buy a business without money. But um, I do want to tackle the with money first because there are people that are like, well, I don't have money. I can't buy one. But this is where SBA loans come into play. And there's a change now. So Jessica, would you mind just sharing with everyone what is an SBA loan? Who can get one? How can you get one? And what the hell is the change? Yeah. So S SBA is a small business administration and they have a loan program. It's a guaranteed lo loan program. So the SBA doesn't loan money themselves. Um, they have in very specific situations, but not to buy a business. Right. But what they do is they provide a guarantee program to banking and lending institutions that if I take out a loan to buy Adam's business and I default on that loan, the government, the SBA will reimburse the bank that lent me the money. Um, typically around 75% of the loan value. So it's a really right. it's a really cool program that we have in the U.S. is very unique to um, our economy. And if you think about it, it's great because it removes the risk for the banks, right? If someone's buying a, uh, a, a business and there's a lot of risk to it, now that risk of them defaulting is going away 75%. Mm. So it powers a huge percentage of the small business sales um, in the U.S., and, it, and it's been, there's been a couple restrictions on SBA loans that have now been removed, uh, which is what we're going to talk about, um, that is really, I think, going to change the name of buying a business. So the first restriction was that when you used an SBA loan to acquire a company, you had to acquire 100% of it. So the owner could not stay on as an equity partner. You could not take a percentage of the business. And now you can use the SBA loans for partial sales. Like this is probably the biggest change in SBA loans that probably ever, right? This, this is huge because when you acquire a business, especially a small business, it's very rare that the business owner has structured it well enough that they can leave and the business can continue without them. They usually need to have their hand in. And even if you want them out at some point, it really benefits to have them stay on a year, two years beforehand in uh, an almost double exit, right? Um, where where there, there's a chance for them to to potentially earn more on the earn out or what have you. Yeah. But with no ability to borrow money for that kind of deal beyond private lending, it was a very hard thing to do. Now, for example, in this situation, which is why I mentioned it earlier, um, yeah. rather than purchasing a core, uh, you know, 40% of the business with cash. Now I could have just gone to the SBA and said, hey, I, I want to buy 40% of this business. Can I borrow the money to do it? Um, and this, this gets really interesting because like I said, I make money every month because I've helped grow the company and I get a check every single month. My check would easily have covered the repayments on that partial uh, purchase via an SBA loan. So to make this really simple, guys, I'll do simple math. Let's say I bought the company for $400,000, 40%, $400,000. My repayments 
would, so I, I receive a five figure check every month for, for my ownership of this company. Mm-hmm. That five figure check could easily pay the SBA loan repayments with a little bit of money left over. So I wouldn't be receiving the full five figures, but I would receive a percentage of it, a small amount, but it would be paying for itself. And yes. then once the loan was paid off, I would just get that money forever. This is amazing. Yeah, it's it's huge. And then the, se- the second big change is the other reason a lot of people didn't use SBA financing in the past was that there was restrictions on how long and in what capacity the past owner could stay on, the seller could stay on. So in the past, they couldn't stay on as an employee. They couldn't stay on as an owner, like we just discussed. Um, and they couldn't stay on for as a contractor for more than a year. So if the business was tied to them, that was very problematic. Now, look, I know of some deals where owners stayed on more than a year. Like, I don't legally know of any of those deals that happened in my office, right? But so now the SB, and the reason they did it was because they wanted the buyer to have full control of the business. They owned 100%, right? They didn't need the seller in there mucking things up. But they realized in practice, it didn't work. Um, so really the way around it now is with these partial sales, you can have the seller stay on in an equity position, especially if the business is tied to them. And so it gets around that whole, I want the owner to stay on. I need their help to run this business. So it's it's really solving two major problems um, that we, we saw in the SBA loans. Um, and then the last is kind of, and we'll talk a lot about uh, seller financing, is they're restructuring how seller financing is treated. So in the past, if you had an SBA loan and you had a seller note, um, in most situations, not all, you couldn't make payments as a buyer on the seller note until the SBA loan was paid off, which made the seller note way riskier for a seller, right? Because they're like, hey, I'm not going to see payments for two, five, or seven years, whatever the term of the loan is. And now um, there is a way, as long as there's you know some debt capacity in the in the pay in the profit of the business can cover the payments that you can pay both off at the same time. Um, so there is a way now to stack capital with seller financing, SBA loans, seller equity, where you don't really have to put money down as a buyer. So this is so huge. And and actually brings up a really interesting point. So um, you know, me and, and Roland Frazier, my partner, we run uh, Epic Network which is a mastermind for people that want to learn how to buy businesses. You guys check out epicnetwork.com if that's something you're interested in. Now, um, there is a belief that brokers are a hindrance to this process. Um, And and that isn't to say that no one ever works with brokers because they totally do, but there's definitely a mindset. Um, In my opinion, uh, and this is totally an insult to your profession, I'm sorry, but in my opinion, you can think of brokers like realtors, um, which isn't the same because it's not the same profession, but there are good realtors, bad realtors. And I have absolutely had realtors that unless I'm paying full price in cash, doing all the work, handling all the paperwork myself, the deal isn't going to go through. And then I've had realtors that are going to suggest five different mortgage companies that will help in certain areas because these mortgage companies prefer this this type of zoning. I've had realtors that will go to a property in advance before I go there and check it out to let me know if it even matches my criteria rather than, right? There's different types. And what I love about Jessica, and, and if you guys are, are listening here, you should absolutely connect with this incredible person um, because she's not that kind of person. She's the kind of person that is going to put in all the extra effort and is going to um, going to help you do it, uh, which is what I love. So here's a question that comes up a lot, Jessica. Mm-hmm. Let's just say that somebody is like, okay, this is great. I'm going to get an SBA loan. Um, I'm going to buy a business. Um, they contact you. Um, and this is something I've actually done with Jessica, by the way, you contact and say, hey, do you have a list of businesses where they're open to seller financing, which is another option which we can talk about, or a number of businesses that you think would fit my criteria? Um, 
Jessica then gives you that. Now, let's just say that, okay, okay, I'm going to do this with the SBA loan. How do you get paid? How do they handle paying you? Like, does that come out the loan? I mean, I know the answer, obviously, but I just wanted to hear it from you. Yeah, yeah. So the, our our commission comes out of the the purchase price of the business. So there's um, a, a, a final disclosure document where all the flow of funds is and our commission's in there. If there's an SBA loan, then yes, like our commission's going to typically come out of those funds that are funded because our commission's baked into the price of the business. It's not on top of it, right? If it's a, a completely seller financing situation um, and there's no money down, um, from any type of of financial institution or buyer, then we do have to get a bit more creative. And as long as you have a willing broker, a willing buyer, and a willing sell- seller, there are creative ways to solve that problem. I think the broker's biggest fear is they're not going to get paid. You know, like a realtor, um, brokers do not collect fees up front. They do not collect fees along the way. So they only get paid at closing. So they could be working with a seller for a year or more and not have received a dollar for their work. So I think as long as you have, again, the willing buyer and seller and broker to come up with a creative solution to make sure that broker gets paid for the time and effort they've put in, you can figure it out. Yeah, I, I love that. And, and that's one of the things I like. It's it's about building, the, I mean, it's like anything, it's about building the relationship. You find somebody that you trust and you can communicate with. Um, I've definitely done some deals with brokers where I'm like, look, I don't want to use any of my own money for this deal. Um, having said that, I want to make sure you get paid. I have more than enough money to pay your commission. And so as long as you and the seller are comfortable with this, I'll pay you myself. I'll make sure you get paid. And then we will, you know, we'll work with the seller. Um, Psychologically, and I just, uh, I want to help this to anybody listening here. um, There is a reason why seller financing or an SBA loan is better than using your money to buy a business. Um, And uh, and I want to share this just from my, my input. And then Jessica, I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. For me, if I've got, let's just say, uh, $5 million that I'm going to put into a business, I don't keep $5 million in cash. The reason I don't is because of inflation. My money is worth less over time. So my money is always sitting in investments. Right. So I always tell everyone, I'm not rich, I'm wealthy. Um, I, I, I like to define rich as having so much money that I can spend on whatever I want and I keep it in cash and everywhere and inflation doesn't bother me because who cares? I'm wealthy. My money is, I have a lot of money stored in physical things or or virtual things, whatever. And if I want to receive that money, I've got to sell something or take my money out of an asset. So that $5 million right now is making money. If I take the 5 million out to buy a business, it's now not making me money. And so all my money is now in the business. And if the business isn't portrayed as well, or if the business isn't portrayed as accurately as it is, and I, now I've got to put in more work. I've got my money out of a safe investment giving me a guaranteed return. And now I'm actively chasing my five million to make sure it doesn't drop to zero. And I've got to make back my five million, put it back in the investment, and then generate extra cash. With seller financing, the seller of the business from day one does not diminish how much money they have in their own investments. So if, if they have $5 million in the bank, when they sell their business, they don't lose anything. Mm-hmm. What they have is an amount of money they pay themselves every month from the business. In my experience, as long as the sale of the business has them receiving the same amount or more every month, they're not out of pocket. Mm-hmm. And if the purchase doesn't end up going through, i.e. payments get skipped, 
the owner of the business gets the business back, they're still not out of out of money. Um, and the only argument is that the business has dipped in the other person's control. Mm -hmm. Which my counter to that is, if the business is good enough that it was portrayed correctly, it shouldn't dip because it, it should be built correctly. Yep. And if it does, the business owner is the right person to turn it around anyway. And they've already received an amount of money and haven't had to do any work. And then they can tidy it up and sell it again. And I actually know somebody that ended up doing that three times. They they ended up getting, I think it was like 2.2 times what they were going to get because they sold it so often. Yeah. I think our record is three times on one business too. That oh, that's amazing. Okay. You've seen guys. That's so yeah, funny. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so I, I love that. So, um, so in your experience, genuinely, is it better to cash buy a business, to SBA loan a business, or to sell a fund a business? So I think the ideal deal structures, you use all three, right? That's ideal is you put, so most buyers, like when you, we look at all the deals we do, most buyers don't put down more than 20 or 30% ever. So it's usually that or less. Um, but like when I was talking about a capital stack, most deals come together where, you know, say there's 10% buyer cash down, 10% seller financing that's used towards the down payment, and then 80% um, SBA. Things have changed a lot in the last year, right? Um, right now, actually, seller financing is more favorable than SBA for sellers because the interest rates are so high, right? So you're seeing that shake up a little bit more. But I think it is in the ideal um, perspective is to use all three. Now, Look. if that's not available, um, as a buyer, I think the best is to use seller financing. You know, especially now, like it would have been a different story. It, seller financing did get a bit challenging when the banks were doing interest rates at like 5%, right? And so then as a seller, you're getting a 5% interest, you know, on what's perceived a risky investment. Now, you know, the banks, I think the last SBA interest rate I checked was like 11.5%. So even if we're discounting the rates on seller financing a little bit, like the seller's still getting 8, 9%, that's like a really good deal, right? Um, and as a buyer, yeah, and they love it. And and it's a win-win for everybody, which makes it a win for a buyer. But yeah, I, I mean, a lot of the deals we've done personally have been with seller financing or earnouts, if you want to get a bit more sophisticated. But um, that's that's the, the first go-to, I think, in your, in your capital. So, yeah, so valuable. Like everyone listening to this, like this is something you have to do. Now, I always tell people, the, my favorite business to buy is my competitors. I, I actually love going after competitors because I expand the size of my business by by there. So I'm increasing my market share, my my weight in the market. Um, so in your experience, would you say that that's a good strategy? Is there is diversification better? What what have you seen and what do you what do you feel? I think when you're growing through acquisition, one, you want to understand your goals and what you're willing and not willing to do as an owner, right? Like we we expanded through our competition, but we also went into different markets. We're in Colorado, Texas, and Nevada now. I'm willing to get on a plane to go to our other offices. If you're not willing to get on a plane to go visit your team, like don't expand market, right? Mm -hmm. um, I think the biggest determining factor though is culture. So uh, as brokers, we're not really involved in the integration aspect. That's kind of where we lose touch. But businesses do get brought back to us where the integration didn't go well and we have to resell them, right? And um, so I think of this this story and um, I won't go into the details because it's a little bit, I don't, I don't know if this is an R-rated podcast or not, but the, the culture of one business was 
very drastically different of the competitor that was buying them. Like so much so that everyone in the deal saw like this is this is a disaster waiting to happen. But the buyer and seller had convinced themselves that on paper, financially, this one competitor buying the smaller competitor financially made a ton of sense. The market share would have been phenomenal, all that stuff. But the cultures are so mismatched. As soon as you blended the teams, the leadership of one organization overseeing the others, it was just an epic disaster. So I think when you're looking to acquire your competitors, you know better than anyone else like what their culture is versus yours, what their belief systems, what their ethics are within your industry. And if they don't match up, then it's not a good deal, right? If they do match up, then it's a great deal, right? Yeah. I, I I've definitely seen we bought a uh, we bought a game store in uh, in our local hometown. I don't know if I, if I ever told you, but so I'm a huge Dungeons and Dragons nerd. There's like a ton of stuff behind me, and um, the the game store was closing down. And my son came to me um, from Dungeons and Dragons night crying, and he was nine at the time. I'm like, what's up, bud? Um, and he's like, um, they're closing the Dungeons and Dragons store. I'm like, oh, I'm sorry, you know. And I was like, well, we have we have a Dungeons and Dragons room in our house. I'm like, we have one room dedicated to it. I was like, you're fine. And he looks at me and goes, Dad, fix it. I'm like, what do you mean fix it? And he goes, you buy and sell businesses, Dad. Fix it. That's what you do. You fix things. Fix it. And I'm like, oh, buddy, I don't, not little game stores. You know, I do different businesses. You know, this is what I do. And he goes, then this should be easy. Do it for me, Dad. And what do you do when that? that's what you do? When it is like, do this thing, you know? And so I was like, fine, I'll buy the game store. And so I, I went to this game store to meet the guy. And I was like, how much you want for the for the game store? And so he gave me his price and I was like, well, do you have any evidence of the numbers? And he pulled out pen and papers, like writing them down. I'd be like, look, yeah. yeah. I'm like, I was like, do you have QuickBooks? He goes, what's a QuickBook? And I was like, this is terrible. This is so bad. Anyway, so we negotiated for three months and eventually he agreed to self-financing and a deferred down payment. So I got um, 60 days before I had to make my first payment so I could go in and tidy it up, which is where we had the culture clash. Because obviously the reason the store wasn't working is you had staff members that were not working. They were just hanging out with their friends and not doing anything. <laughs> and so the very first thing I did uh, was I went in and I put all of them on a one month probation. And I was like, I'd like to keep you all. I just need to see what you do. So I was like, so one month, we're going to analyze everything. We fired everyone but one staff member. We lost them all. And, uh, but the one stayed on for like six months and was actually pretty good. Um, and now the store is uh, bigger and better than ever. We ended up buying a huge commercial building and, and it's great. And it, it, yeah. it's been wonderful. But that culture clash is, is real. When you you take a real business and you go in and you find all the staff have not been working for two years, mm-hmm. very hard to be like, yo, now you have to track what you do every day. Like, what? Yeah. I gonna, <laughs> like, I don't always turn up on time. It's like, mm-hmm. now you have to. You know, it's like, yeah. <laughs> it's basic basic uh, guardrails. But yeah, the culture thing is, it's huge. And some in some situations you overcome it and some you don't. So I think, out before you even look at any financials, business impact of buying a competitor, I think that's the first thing to ask yourself is, is the culture going to match? Um, what would you say is the average ticket price you see of businesses selling for nowadays? Like, is it 30 million, 50 million, 1 million, half a half million? What do you say is the average that you typically So actually, uh, the average, Biz by Sell reports on this data every quarter. Um, so they have this a really interesting insights report. And it's interactive and you change quarters or whatever. Um, so I haven't seen Q1 um, data because it, it lags a bit. But from 2022, the average was only $330,000. Um, so if it's you think... 
Yeah, because if you think about the U.S. economy, you've heard, probably heard the stat that 96% of all businesses do less than a million in revenue, right? So most businesses are small in the U.S. So then if you look at sale price, you know, valuation is a whole different topic we won't get into, right? But like, let's just use a ballpark of like half revenue, right? Which is not accurate. Don't quote me on that at all. Yeah. But, yeah. but you know, most businesses are under a million. So most businesses are worth less than half a million. And if you look at the number of deals that get done, it's it's about the same. It's about 97% of the deals that are done are below a million in value. So we so, hear about all the big ones, but we don't hear about all the small ones. Yeah. So I love that because you just thought, because we have a, a, a an internal number that we use to calculate revenue quick, uh, to calculate the value of business quickly like you just did, but we have a different metric. So it's really cool to hear yours. So yours is roughly half revenue. And you said, don't quote me on that, obviously, because it's going to be different, but Essentially, if a business is doing a million bucks a year, the value would be about half million. So with the average sale price being 330,000, the the estimated average uh, yearly gross is 660,000. For everyone listening, that's really cool. Um, just to share with you the, the one we do, uh, the one we do is we take profit mm -hmm. of the business, uh, essentially EBITDA, but it's usually sales discretionary earnings. And then we typically multiply that by 2.5 to 4 depending on the, the process. So that's that's how we usually price businesses. But like if I'm quick talking to somebody, it doesn't work because they don't know what their profit is and they have no idea what seller's discretionary earnings is. So I would never quote that to like a seller when I'm sitting across from them. But when they're talking to me and I'm trying to figure out, hey, is this going to my Main Street department or is it going to my M&A department? I know they know the revenue. That's the one number I know that they know. And so that's where I it's it's like a super big ballpark, but at least to, helps me decide, all right, you're in this market or you're in this market. Um, and then we dig into EBITDA or SDE um, and same similar multipliers, like the average EBITDA multiplier right now across all industries is like three times. So, yeah. So I, I, I want to help a beginner who's listening to this because I know I have some beginners. Let, let me show you just some silly numbers, right? You decide that you want to buy a business today and you have no money in the bank. But you, but you know you can do this, right? It's an industry you know you can do. And you contact Jessica and you go to, what's your website, Jessica? It's a cheeky plug. Yeah, hey, tworldcolorado.com or tworlddfw.com. Okay, so tworldsdfw.com because we're Texas-based, probably more Texas listeners. tworldsdfw.com and you see a business and it's $660,000 is the annual revenue. The price is 330000 To show you just numbers that we've discussed about on the show. <clears throat> you don't have a deposit, you don't have any money. Uh, but you go to the SBA and you get them to agree to give you an SBA loan for for the uh, for a, as much of it as possible, um, and uh, and they're willing to do that. And so you get eighty percent covered by a loan, providing you can put down a twenty percent down payment. The seller has agreed to give you a ten percent down payment in seller financing, so you now only need ten percent in cash, which is thirty three thousand dollars. And if you don't have thirty three thousand dollars, you have a number of options available to you. The easiest one, as far as I'm concerned, would be to find a business mentor who you trust and ask them if, like family member, if they will gift you $33,000 in exchange for 10% ownership of the business. You now have the first member of your board of advisors who is a successful business owner, is a friend of yours, someone you know. They didn't give you $33,000. They purchased 10% of a business for $33,000. You effectively now own the business and didn't pay anything. You've got repayments to pay, but if you've calculated correctly, you should be able to pay out the business and you've got a very smart person guiding you through. That would be a method that would work. Um, anybody here listening to could buy 
a business at the average uh, price of uh, of a company, which is phenomenal. And I highly recommend you all go and and, and see Jessica's website. Uh, are you on social, Jessica? Do you, do you or is I am private? Yep. Yeah. If you, I'm just at Jessica Fiakovich. I'm on, the only Jessica Fiakovich. So if you even spell it wrong, I think I still come up. So it's <laughs> really funny. I love that. Um. So at the end of every episode, we always say. Um, what would you say smart businesses do? So if you wouldn't mind saying smart businesses and then what you think they do. Um, well, this is an easy tip. Smart businesses grow through acquisition. Love it. And I agree 100%. There you go, guys. Make sure you go and check out Jessica Fialkovich, um and their website. Um, this is literally my favorite business broker and also the one that is very, very open to uh, to doing very smart deals with people that want creative finance. Go check her out and, uh, and get involved. Thanks so much for being here, Jessica. I appreciate you. Thank you so much for having me, Adam. Now, if you're new to the podcast and you want to learn more about how to build a smart business, then the absolute best place to start is with my Smart Blueprint ebook. Over 10,000 people have already gone through the book, and it's one of the most comprehensive resources on strategically building and growing your business that you can find anywhere for free. Just visit thesmartblueprint.com forward slash ebook to grab a free copy. And I'll see you on the next episode of Smart Businesses Do This.